Welcome back to the Five on Five podcast presented to you by directmusicservice.com. Direct Music Service, we preach on it every week. Uh, Go over there and grab uh, DJ edits, originals, remixes, everything. Uh, Five on Five is the promo code F-I-V-E-O-N-F-I-V-E. I'll save you 30% off your first month's subscription. We're going to get right into it. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and like, hit the subscribe, ding the bell every time we drop a video. Because you know we we trying to get our we trying to get our numbers up. Our numbers been get, all right though. We got to get the YouTube numbers up. Yeah, oh, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast. It that's is a whole nother show. Nick and I were working furiously late into the night, uh, <laughs> trying to figure out some some tech tips to get YouTube subscribers up. But that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> uh, we're gonna get right into it. We have such a great show today. Uh, it's just been legends only around here. We, we've yeah, had uh, we've had a lot of great acts rolling through lately. Should we say uh, we need to change our podcast to like the Goat Herders? That's it. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. the goats. Just the goats. No, the Goat Herders. The Goat Herders. We're the not goat the Herders. Goat. No, no, no. Yeah, we bring in the goats. We bring yeah, exactly. The goats. Just yeah, the goats. Herders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, last week we had DJ Puffy. The week before we had Greg Wilson. The week before that we had Floetic and Flip Out. It's just been a full gamut of DJs and producers. And this week is no exception. You know who the boys are. I'm not even going to get into the intro for the boys. We're just going to skip right past that. Um, this gentleman blew up very early. He was 17 years old when things just took off. Um, I have so much to talk about, about that, about blog era, about everything. But I'm going to do that introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, Legends Only Goat Herders podcast. Now yes. is what we're calling it. Yes. Uh, make some noise for Louis LaRoche. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Yes. What sir. an intro. How are you doing, man? How you living? <laughs> yeah, really good. Thank you. Yeah, we're stoked to have you here. I know you're back into dropping bangers. You have uh, you just dropped colors which is fantastic. Yep. I try, I try. I, I, I try every song to be a banger, but it's not always. Sometimes, <laughs> some, some are a bit shit. <laughs> it's, it's tough getting inspired um, from the production side of things because you make something, mm-hmm. and the true test of time is if you wake up in the morning and you still enjoy it. You oh, know, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, most of it doesn't make the chopping block. You hear it again, or you're working on just a kick for five hours. You're just trying to fine tune a kick and people don't really see that they just mm-hmm. see the final product of the festival performance and the song going off they don't see you banging your head against the wall trying to find that perfect snare <laughs> honestly like the the best ideas are the ones that like you do in a day mm. you know it like the ones where you're spending like you say like five hours on a kick drum or something like that's probably a sign that you know it's it's not going too well and you should probably move on right <laughs> so right 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 the yeah. ones that yeah like you know take a few hours or whatever you're like whoa this is this is the shit you know yeah, yeah. What, what, what's the what's the cutoff time for you like it's like um, two hour two hours is just too long to spend on a kick drum yeah i mean like like literally like it's my nine to five so like i'm i'm like writing music like all day every day mm-hmm. so uh like yeah if if in that time frame like nine to five if i can do a song in that time then mm. it's like yeah that's like the peak the yeah. peak <laughs> the peak time but if if you know something takes longer than whatever but um i hate like going back to things so mm. like mm-hmm. if i can if i can get it all done in one then then that's great so what's what's the what's the most songs that you've completed in a day um i guess like 
so I, I do nowadays, like for the last year, I've done lots of stuff for li like library work. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be very demanding. Like sometimes, you know, they'll be like, right, we need this, this and this by tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, I think I did like uh, three songs in a day. And but they weren't like full songs. They were just like maybe like two minutes each. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of them had like two of them were instrumental and one was like had to have a vocal on. So, yeah, mm. it was just like, wow. again, that was like first thing in the morning until like 10, 11 o'clock at night. So, yeah, yeah. Bang them out. In, in the way that the hip, the way that <laughs> hip hop works today, like two minutes for a song is perfect. <laughs> yeah. the way that yeah. they're pumping out these songs now all of, all of spotify really yeah you know, for real they figure uh society only has the attention span of of maybe two minutes mm -hmm. you know but honestly though if somebody listens to your track they know in the first 10 seconds yeah you hear something and you're like oh skip yeah or, oh yeah this is my shit let me stick with this mm -hmm. which has translated to djing mm -hmm. which which people if they if they hear something right away that they don't like maybe they'll come up to the dj booth especially especially in nightclubs yeah <clears throat> which is tough because you know we're always dealing with the um the demand of society with people mm -hmm. wanting instant gratification hey can you mm -hmm. play my song right now i want to get mm -hmm. right into that mm -hmm. um and then get it, getting through the verses too <laughs> right right like sometimes right, you right. can't even get through one verse now and and yeah. now TikTok is like killing all of that <laughs> it's yeah. like you have yeah. to have an intro and that's kind of it like the rest exactly. of the song doesn't matter you know exactly yeah. we're just all quick mixing now playing in 45 too yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yes play, play the sped up version i don't want to hear the original <laughs> right <laughs> There's no way you're digesting anything at that speed. It's just going straight through you. And you're like, all right, you know, but Gen Z is like, yo, yeah. you got 10 seconds. What's the song going to be? Okay. I hate it. Next song. Play it faster. Just like, constantly right. elevator pitching. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just, it's a lot. So, um, Brett, I want to get into this as far as your side of things from the dj perspective i i have to assume you're pretty selective on where you dj these days uh yeah uh, but a lot of that like uh <laughs> a lot of that isn't on purpose uh sure. so uh two things happened so um early on like 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 you said in the intro i i kind of got like a, a management and a booking agent when i was 17. so the I played like my first like serious gig um, when I was 17 mm. and uh, I think it was like Switzerland or somewhere like I flew out on my own, which was like the first time I'd been on a flight on my own and um, it was all quite daunting and everything. And kind of since then, like for a good, maybe like six or seven years, it didn't really stop. It was just like constant playing all the time, uh, city after city, country after country. And after a while, it just like, it wasn't that fun anymore because I'd like sucked all the fun out of it because it was just like constant and like no sleep and yeah, yeah. <laughs> hotel rooms and like dark clubs and everything. Um, yeah. And and the other thing, so th that was one side because I sucked the, the fun out of it. But the other thing was my hearing. So mm. when I uh, first started, um, like earplugs weren't talked about at mm -hmm. all. 
Like mm-hmm. nobody talked about earplugs. And then even when they did talk about earplugs, it was like, yeah, whatever. And like, you know, it wasn't cool to wear earplugs or whatever. Um, and because I was playing like so often and because I started so young, um, yeah, I, I completely fucked myself over basically. So I do have tinnitus. I have like quite mild tinnitus, but, uh, so I kind of like, shut down shows a bit and stopped doing them so often because it was really you know starting to affect my hearing so Mm. that's the main reason (laughs) (laughs) i I would love to play like all the time but it's just uh, it's you know you just have to you know it's like my my bread and butter is my ears so (laughs) (laughs) i can't do anything so uh yeah yeah, that's why. <laughs> and and a, a constant ringing is just maddening, really, you know, no matter what level it is. I have it as well, you know, and you're trying to go to sleep, you're trying to watch TV at a low volume or whatever, and you're like, it's in the back of your head and you can't think about it for too long mm. without it just driving you nuts, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think too, you know, you you started at 17 in the blog era and and of course nothing was mentioned about earplugs because everything was was real cool guy society you know it was like it was leather jackets it was smoking cigarettes it was you know no one was no one was listening to music with earplugs in at festival or not even festivals it was shows at that point you know it wasn't like these big edc like banger um and i think that a lot of people in that position, myself included, every, every, all the music was distorted at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, as you mentioned mm-hmm. in another interview, it's the distortion era, where there was so much coming from that, where these brash sounds and everything just wreck your ears. And then let oh, me yeah. let me add this too. That's not exclusive to Bloghouse. That's how it was in in hip hop too. In, in, in hip hop, yeah, yeah. and everything yeah. the the mix yeah. mixtape era. So yeah. yeah, I think the thing is like, especially with DJs, is that like you're so close to the monitor, you know, like the monitor is just there. Yeah. And it's, it's so, and you've got a, a dial on the mixer that says booth or whatever, you can crank that up as high as you want. Yeah. So you've got all the control, whereas like a band, obviously like they can walk about the stage and it's like at the front of the stage and like, you know, it stays the same volume. You can't tweak it. You know, it's the, the sound guy's job to do that. Yeah. So, you can kind of escape it to a certain degree, but mm-hmm. DJs are like, you know, it's taking on. that, <laughs> the, yeah. all those decibels, like yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah. full, full on. So mine, yeah. mine came from a, a phobia. I was always cranking the booth because I didn't want to hear the crowd talk. Mm. I didn't want to mm-hmm. hear anything as far as, oh, I don't like this song mm-hmm. or, or, or anything like that, or like any conversation because my mind would just go wandering right mm-hmm. away. So I'm always cranking that volume to where there's this wall of sound coming in at you where I'm like, perfect. I can't hear anything. I'm just in my own little bubble. My ears are bleeding down the side of my head, you know? Like, yeah. And then especially in Portland, you got to crank the volume too, because, you know, they hate loud music in Portland. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> another spot. You know, as as you play out more and more, you're like, it's not loud enough. It's not loud enough. You know, because that hearing is starting to diminish. Mm-hmm. And you're like, let me let me just put the booth at midnight when it was at you know 9 p.m. when you started DJing or whatever. Right. Um, Brett, you had an interesting start to things. Um, 
and and I think it's it's a double sided sword. And I know I know I know you've talked about this so many times in interviews um, and stuff like that. You were compared to Daft Punk. People thought you your song was Daft Punk. Your yeah. song mm-hmm. Love when it yeah. came out. Um, first of all, what a fucking mountain to climb at 17, yeah. you know, <laughs> out, of, out of the gate where they're like, oh, no, it's not Daft Punk. It's this guy. And you're like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. This is hate to disappoint you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how did you move forward after the initial single? What was your mindset? I mean, you're 17 at that point. Things are, are so yeah. different than where you're at now. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I grew up with that sound. I grew up yeah. with French House. That's why Louis LaRoche is a name, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that was always the kind of intent. That was the sound that I was going for. Um, so obviously to kind of be put in that box and uh, it's quite like i mean i hate pigeonholing in music anyway like i Mm -hmm. i hate that because as soon as you do that like you you're stuck with that and you can't do anything else so Mm -hmm. um but at that age you know at 17 it was like it was so odd because I, I almost got like imposter syndrome because it was like, I, and I got it really quickly because I I just made this name. I just made this song. I put it out there and then all these different blogs and all these different websites are like, you know, talking about it, but they're not talking about me. They're talking about it as if it was a Daft Punk song. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like, I kind of separated myself from it like straight away because I was mm-hmm. like, well, it's not really my song because they think it's this other guy, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but after a while, I kind of um, like the releases after that, I kind of slowly started to find uh, like, I guess, like my recipe or like my sound after that. Mm. Um, and it's sort of evolved ever since. But um, to a certain extent, I was I was kind of like running away from that a, mm. a little bit because yeah. uh, that, you know, like I say, people like that's what people knew me for then um mm-hmm. and obviously since then like you know my career has taken like different different paths and um but in the back of my head it's always like to us to a certain group of people people i will always be that and that's fine that's cool sure um but i'm kind of like it's in my nature to always like uh have a new challenge and see what else i can do you know mm-hmm. like uh, do this genre, do that genre, you know, take things here and there. So like the, the, the pigeonhole that people put me in, it's like, Oh no, I can do this as well. Like mm-hmm. I can do that, but I can also do this and I can also do this. So yeah. kind of like, and, and that's why I'm like, like I said before, that's why I'm doing the library stuff because I write so much music mm-hmm. and it's like, if I have a brief that says we want some, something that sounds like this, or this artist wants us, a song that sounds like this i like the challenge to be like i can do that and i know i can do that and so i you know enjoy enjoy that challenge i enjoy the that journey that process rather than you know I, and i would rather do that than be one of these artists who uh does the same thing like all their career and and there's nothing wrong with that like if you if you have a recipe and you um you know and it's a really good fucking recipe and you uh rinse and repeat it's like yeah. You know, you, like some people have built ho- whole careers off of that and, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, have become like, you know, just like 
the greatest producers because they are they've like perfected it they've perfected yeah. that that sound so yeah. but for me i just you know I, li- I like to be able to to do different things so mm. yeah that was that was the only that was the only sort of hurdle really um getting over that so mm-hmm. yeah i think just the fact that you made it out of the blog era alive and intact is yeah. a reward in itself as well you know so many careers so many fantastic producers and djs things came to a screeching halt around 2011 2012 you know yeah, where, where it was like now that i don't have hype machine as accessible and now that i don't have these blogs and what the fuck is a blog and no one's even reading these anymore you know mm-hmm. like, things went to a halt and that, that actually happened um so i was uh i don't know if you remember this i'm, I'm sure you guys are all still on soundcloud but mm-hmm. when soundcloud was like the hot property you know like maybe like 2011 2013 mm-hmm. something like that it was like Obviously, you had like massive names coming out of there, like Kaytranada and people like that, all because mm-hmm. of SoundCloud. But I don't know if you remember, but slightly after then, it was 2015. Um, SoundCloud were like, I don't know why. I think they just like changed their business model or something. But they were like, <laughs> any kind of copyright on SoundCloud, mm. they were coming after people. Universal. So you, you had like free strikes. So mm-hmm. the first one was if you had something, mm-hmm. you know, that was copyrighted, it would get pulled. The second one, I think they limited your, yeah. your like you couldn't upload anymore or mm-hmm. something. And then the third one was that's it, you're out. Yeah, like sure. they, they, they cut, yeah, they cut you yeah. off. So, um, and obviously that era was like all about like bootlegs so it was mm-hmm. like you know remix this remix that it was like you know uh, like the wild west mm-hmm. so um and i had a i had a bunch of stuff on my soundcloud and because of that i'd like built up like a good number i think i had like over a hundred thousand um followers and then um slowly but surely like i got like one uh strike so i was like oh that's okay you know it's just the one i'll be fine and then the second and the third like came like straight after each other like i couldn't do anything it was like straight away um so i i lost it and i i like um wrote to soundcloud and i was like you know please you know like can you reverse this is there something we can do is there you know um but they were just having none of it so yeah yeah, i i literally had to start again i had to start up another soundcloud and like start from square one so yeah i was (laughs) i was hit hard by that so yeah and and that's not fair to anyone that does sample based production as well no you know there's there's such a crackdown now and you know i i have read a few interviews from you as well and sampling has changed everything you know sampling uh derivatives and all of that even looking back to the robin thick marvin gay and all of that that whole mm-hmm. case whereas like what's going to get flagged on mm-hmm. on on something like soundcloud what's going to be acceptable on something like spotify because you see things fly under the radar all the time mm-hmm. where you're like there's no way you license that sample there's yeah. no you know and yeah. you just wait and see what happens you know, kind of, kind of take it on the chin after you get a slap on the wrist, or or what happens? You but know? then some some songs just stay on there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You Which, know, you, you know, and and now it's I don't know specifically 
you guys might know better than this, but what constitutes an acceptable cover? How can you get away with covering a song? Mm. And, mm-hmm. and what does that breakdown look like? The, so the, interest, the interesting thing that I found is um, content ID on YouTube. So YouTube have content ID where, um, let's say you put up like a DJ mix or something, mm-hmm. and like certain sections of your DJ mix will be, get like, uh flagged but right. it, it won't it won't be like taken down it just means that like they can monetize they can put ads on your video or whatever and make money yeah. um but what i found is that like for certain songs uh like they don't mind if you do a bootleg or if you do a remix so it will it will be flagged by the content ID as the original even though it's a, a remix mm-hmm. and so they're getting paid because they can put ads on it and they can make money from the ads, mm-hmm. but you still get to keep your song on YouTube. It doesn't get taken down. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. So right. as, as much as a lot of people like complain about content ID, I feel like I wish there were like an equivalent, like on SoundCloud or, or like even on, even on Spotify, like how cool would that be to like, I don't know, find, somehow find a way of like being able to do bootlegs and stuff um and but without like going down the the channels of sample clearance you know just like an automated thing where it's like we can hear that this you've used some of the original so we're gonna somehow monetize this somehow make money Mm -hmm. um and you're free to do it still so yeah but yeah i mean it's such a even now, like you'd think sampling has been around for like so long now, but you'd think they'd finally have like a solution to it. But it's such like a, like, and clearing the sample still, it's like, it's, it's the old system still, you know, it's like, you have to find who owns the publishing. You have to clear the publishing side. You have to clear the master side. Then like, depending on who you've sampled, like they'll want a big, like advance, a big Mm -hmm. fee, a big payout. Um, so and it just seems like such a i don't know like <laughs> like, a, like such a old like and there yeah. hasn't been a new way of doing it it's but big, is that is that the workaround though is that the new way there i mean there is, you mean like the the youtube credit yeah I, I mean they'll have to in order to do that so youtube would have to like work out a deal with like warner brothers for example okay. right and so they pre like approve Right. Anything that's under the Warner Brothers umbrella, mm-hmm. you can monetize. Mm-hmm. So that's why if you do upload a mix to YouTube, it like gets scanned, and then you get like a list of song, like your songs get listed and right. all that. But that's not necessarily like, um, that's pre-approved. That's not necessarily a uh, like if you made a bootleg or something and you okay. need to clear a sample. That's not necessarily the system for that. Right. If you were to put that out, like if you put out a song that sampled, I don't know, anything. Yeah. You still have to fucking reach out to the people who own the publishing and the masters and all this jazz. Like it, it, you're basically still writing letters. Like it's still very much the like the same system we we're using in the 80s. Right. So the work so the workaround, I'm I'm just working this out in my in my head. So and the, the workaround thing is, is well, to... like for for like sorry, um for right. like actual um actual sampling i know there's like this website's like uh tracklib now right so right. you can like it's like pre-approved songs in their catalog or whatever okay. um yeah. 
which is cool. And I wish that like so much more music was in their catalog. But yeah. I've gone on their website and I've seen what catalog they have, and there's like you know only a few like hundred songs. It's like you know where's yeah, all, these, where's like, all the good shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, exactly. And that's what I was just gonna say. All the shit that's like dope that you want to sample. It's like, and also. It's- I, I hate to even say this, but it, it's like almost kind of corny. Right. Like, cause it's already pre-approved. Like well, right. it's there right. for you to sample. Like you want to dig, you want to find something cool. But aren't we, aren't we getting closer, closer to it, to where everything is going to be pre-approved with all these artists selling off their masters? Is that, is that where that's coming into play? Or is, does I, that only work for like, television that's why they're selling off their masters they're selling off their masters to get on commercials to get better placing not so much um you know in that sample pool it's a payout isn't it It, it, that's why they do it is it's because labels don't pay advances anymore so it's like well if i can sell off my publishing because that that's the thing like uh loads of websites and stuff like to say oh this artist (laughs) sold off all the publishing and blah 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 Mm -hmm. but like I think there's like a written law where so like a publishing is kind of split into like obviously there's the master side and there's the publishing side but the publishing side itself is split into two which is like your publisher and your share which is the writer's share so and the writer's share like as far as I can tell they still have that they're just giving away the publishing share so it's like uh you know, uh, that's that's the payout. So right. that they can do that. You know, their publishing deal can do whatever they want with it. But I think right. they keep the writer's share. So, okay. and I swear in law, it's written that you you can't. You will always have your writer's share. Like you can't sell it off. Mm. Like you will always have it. Mm-hmm. So even with these big deals, it's like they're still they're still making royalties. They're just yeah. Making less less, less than you would so, have yeah right yeah, yeah. right you're getting you're getting your nfl guarantee money yeah. plus a little bit on the back end with the incentives so okay it's well, really interesting because like in a sense that system hasn't changed like in this in the way right. that like the, the ownership part of it hasn't changed what you can do with those assets that's is yeah barely evolving where they're i can see like they're trying to like by making these like sample banks and things like that um, where it's like royalty free music where people are making music with the intention of it mm-hmm. being sampled, which good idea. I just don't think it's that appealing to be honest, right. unless it's like commercial work or like, right. I don't know if we were to make like a theme song for this show mm-hmm. and we just needed sample free something that we just needed to have on Spotify and Apple, like mm-hmm. for those uses, it's fine. But like, if we're trying to make some cool shit, I don't want to use that. Right. Yeah. No. I don't, right. You know. What right. I mean? yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it's it almost seems as if too the songs that they give you to be sampled, it's much more of a win for the original producers. <laughs> where they're like, finally, someone's gonna hear this song that you know came out in '82 that no one listened to. You know, you're like, like, yeah, I guess, dude. That's all I have on here. There's you know 99 other songs, so yeah. <laughs> but it, it seems like, and and it it has to go mention, blog era simply wouldn't exist. And yeah. un- under these parameters now of what's being cracked down on and what's they're letting pass mm-hmm. none of you know uh sebastian for a perfect example 
all of his stuff was sample based. Wazo, you know, was so much mm-hmm. sample based stuff like that. Um, let's not even get into Daft Punk. Well, These songs yeah. were coming out and, and, and they, they weren't cleared. It was just like, here it is, yeah. you know? Let's not get into Little Wayne's mixtape run. Little Wayne, <laughs> yeah, you know, or, um, or an artist like Girl Talk. Yeah. Which is 100% yeah. sample based. Yeah. There's not, you know, and then we get into the discussion of are you limiting the art for your own personal gain? You can't. Yeah, but I, 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 I suppose like a, the best example of this is uh, the Grey album, right? Which yeah. was yeah. Um, the Beatles and Jay Z and mm-hmm. uh, Danger, Danger Mouse, Mouse put Danger the two Mouse. together, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the best example because it's like obviously you're not allowed to sample uh the beatles you know it's like a no-go area don't even try it they won't clear it and it's like he does this hip-hop album and like hip-hop at that time was like you know just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger before now it's like now hip-hop's everywhere Mm hip-hop's like you know the most listened to probably genre of anything but at the time it was like you know starting to get like more and more like yeah. in the in the in the kind of pop world yeah it was in this blog house era at yeah, that time. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. but, yeah but it's like it was just a statement piece because it was like you know i i, I swear it he like was a mixtape he didn't release yeah it right Did, correct didn't didn't he like he he i swear he like printed out a bunch of um uh like cds and then like went into record stores and like mm-hmm. put it on the shelf like yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> like they so, weren't for sale you just have them right yeah yeah so like it's like it's just the best market in ever mm-hmm. and he, he obviously didn't care about getting sued or didn't care about this didn't care about that so it's like and what could they have really done because as far as i could tell like it was obviously jay-z's like acapellas but right all the all the music it was just manipulated Beatles samples. Mm-hmm. Like there was nothing added. It was just like manipulated samples. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like uh, it just seems it, too much. Too much fuck- effort to 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 chase or to like right. you know clear it. You know, it's right. like here it is. It's all Beatles samples. You know, like mm-hmm. that's and it's it. Free. I didn't. I'm not, <laughs> free. I didn't make anything off of it. Yeah. And so I think that's really like the the real loophole is like I, I made this and I'm not making any profit off of it. And there's no channel for you to get money off of it. It's mm-hmm. not on Spotify. It's not on Apple. It's only on, you know, it's yeah, only so on free. It's on my Bandcamp, but I'm giving it away. Yeah. Um, I, And then you get booked for shows. And then, you know, maybe that'll get you another gig where you can make original music. But it is... It's tricky and it sucks because like, I mean, De La Soul's whole story is they were locked. Their music was locked up mm-hmm. for 20 plus years because they couldn't clear samples. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I swear I read before that like it's cheaper to get sued for a sample than it is to clear samples. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess depending on the sample, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, and that's why people don't do it. That's why people don't clear because it's like. Mm-hmm. Chasey Chapman got that money from Nicki Minaj. Sorry, never came out. <laughs> there's, there's a Tracy Chapman. Oh yeah, um, um, it's One not reason? Fast Car. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nicki, Nicki is uh, rapping on top of that beat, and hmm. uh, it never came out. 
never saw never saw the light of day. I mean, uh, snippets of it came out, and Tracy got wind of it and sued her. Yeah, Tracy's like the Beatles. Yeah, she is. Yeah, nothing is is going on. But that's what happens when you make, you know, one banger album and just kind of like, (laughs) you know, you're like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm chilling, you know, Um, it's it's really interesting to see. And, you know, kind of circling back to what you mentioned with the SoundCloud uh, issues, SoundCloud made that announcement. We're doing DJ mixes now. And after so many people got their accounts pulled, you know, and it's like, you're not out for us. You're not on the side of the DJ. You're not on the side of the producer, the podcaster. And you're on the side of the label. They're getting paid from the labels. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, oh, now now come on and drop a DJ mix. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm not even inspired to put one up because I didn't want the strike from before. I still have PTSD, you know? They still took down my, my Drake my drake mix that's drake you, you can't you can't mess with the drake yeah I know. Drake. yeah yeah i know yeah yeah he's yeah i don't know it's just it's such a slippery slope that it feels like it's limiting the art that it's squeezing back the music and the amount of music coming out and if you're not playing ball in these parameters or putting out a 100 percent original production which which is, you know, like compared to a sample, people are always going to dive towards a sample unless mm-hmm. you're, you know, dropping a virtuoso track. And and that's why, like right now, this whole conversation is really important because of the whole AI thing. AI mm-hmm. has now just like broke down Damn. all these walls that like yeah. sampling has had. Yeah. And it's like, if they don't update copyright laws like soon, then it's like, it's just going to be a complete shit show and you can do whatever you want. Um, yeah. Which is kind of what we want, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but but at the same time, like you know, labels and you know, uh, you know, the original artist, be it a you know a painter or a you know somebody's photograph or whatever, the same way that an original song, like if people are pissed off and they, and they want some sort of compensation, some sort of money from it, then you know, so, it's, so how they're going to have work? to change the law. Yeah, how does that work? Because, <laughs> you know, a new Drake song is coming out every single day now. With, yeah, it's with kind AI. of crazy because they just make a song in the style of Drake. Yeah. And the thing is, you can't, you can't copyright a voice because... No. Because the thing is, it's like right. how 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 is it gonna know? Like, because at the at the minutes, some going back to like the content ID thing, content ID works because of a like a a waveform, right? Uh-huh. So it like uh-huh. analyzes the waveform and it matches it to like a match in its database and goes, "This is this." Uh-huh. But if it's like these Drake songs that are coming out, where you know there's that video that's been doing the rounds where, you know, a guy rapped or whatever, and then replaced his voice with Drake's voice. Right. Um, how do you, how do you like police that? You can't because it's like, yeah. it's an original piece that somebody's written lyrics to and rapped, but it's the copyrighted part is Drake's voice, but it's you a, can't it's a voice filter. Like, right. But you can't yeah. copyright it. <laughs> no. So I, I fucked up. It is. <laughs> And so now we're on the other side of it. We're the artists now. We're being like, hold on, we need to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need to yeah. do something about it. Yeah. You guys can't just be stealing people's. Someone art. protect Frank Ocean right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, like it's, it's wild. Uh, yeah, it's it's 
I don't know. What do you guys think? Are you for it or against it? Like, I personally, I don't give a shit about mm. hearing an AI flip a Kanye song, write a Kanye beat. Just give me the original. Give yeah. me the artist. Yeah, I'm not like, I'm not wooed and wowed by, it's interesting. It is. Don't get me wrong. It it's is. definitely interesting. But no one is going to go to their car and be like, hey, turn on that fake Drake song. Yeah. What if they do? That's, what, they that's have the no scary taste. part. That is <laughs> what part. if somebody makes a fake Drake song that's like fire and that like so goes big. up it's and it's happen. like, yo, that's not even Drake. And people are like, I don't give a shit. The song's fire. It's good. Drake's happen. like, hold the fuck on. <laughs> yeah. I don't- yeah. I mean, that's the same thing that happened with that, that Drake Michael Jackson song, right? Right. Mike's right, kids yeah. came out and said, hey, that don't sound like my daddy. Yeah. Hey, Michael Jackson. You're like, yeah. <laughs> hey, my daddy. <laughs> I don't know. That shit's nuts, bro. Like, that's that's it. And we're at the very, I don't want to say the very beginning. It took time to get here, but we're at a very early stage of this AI shit. Right. So it's that's very crazy. interesting. Like, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that this, this very thing yeah. will become an issue. Somebody will put out a song that does become a hit that isn't drake or whoever you know what i mean well what company slowed down on their ai shit they're like hey we just need to slow down on this this is getting too out of control i wouldn't it, doubt if it was chat what's that chat it chat might have been chat gpt gpt yeah i wouldn't doubt it's them because that they're the most popular one yeah. people are also it's it's uh, so i can't remember where but they were doing this thing where they were sorry to derail but they were basically asking it to write songs in the mm-hmm. style of artists mm-hmm. and so they would do like s- summertime songs because there's mm-hmm. a rabbit hole we can go down later is there's not a lot of summertime rap songs that talk about the beach right <laughs> very specific but rap people talk about hey the beach. this is the thing though black people don't go, black to, people the don't go to the beach like that though fully clothed, clothed. On, like black on. people go to the beach and you'll see them in full socks and shoes yes. so is that in um, the song socks and shoes on the beach so yeah so that's what this <laughs> they were trying to make um chat gpt write rap songs about going to the beach and they would be like in the style of kendrick lamar in the style of dr dre in the style uh-huh. of whoever but a lot of them the the lyrics were similar okay. but it would pick up like so let's and they would like okay let's do bob dylan yeah. and it really depends on how big that artist library is that that can go uh, yeah that makes sense but a lot of the times if you were like similar genres it would kind of be the same lyrical kind so it's not that smart yet it they don't got bob dylan like, dropping the n-word though in the songs though no no, no no it was okay. a totally different thing <laughs> that'd be wild <laughs> wow so like the dre jay-z kendrick lamar versions mm-hmm. like the verses weren't that different that like, makes the sense. bars weren't that different but then when you go to like they would do like Bob Dylan and I don't know, some other folky types mm-hmm. here. And it like the lyrics were kind of similar as well. Yeah. So it that doesn't make sense because Jay, like, Jay and Drake wrote for Jerry. Right. So well, like all sense. similar and which there there's overlapping mm-hmm. themes. Maybe that's why mm-hmm. they were very similar. But if we pick somebody like even dramatically different, maybe it would be, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't think it's as smart as people as far as writing goes, it's not as clever. But like, if you wrote a song, if a human wrote a song in the style of Drake, and then throws the vocal thing on top, that's 
that's when it can get scary because that's yeah. Yeah. Anybody can write a song. There's we've seen it throughout history, people writing on behalf of other people to sound like them. But like all you, you gotta do is throw your fucking voice filter <laughs> over it. Y'all Jeez. think Quentin Miller's out there messing around with chat GPT? He's out here making Quentin Drake Miller's songs. dropping Drake tracks, man. Like it's fire, bro. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it at all. This is this is the thing with any artist I was thinking about doing a reunion. They're like, I don't have to now, you know, mm. I don't, I don't have to give you a talking heads reunion because you have the robots doing it now. Dog, they can <laughs> literally do reunions with dead artists. Like it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. And like you said, it's the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's until something goes very wrong. It's just going to be, they're just going to be, keep it going. Keep it going. We're going to get a new Nirvana album. Like this yeah. is, yeah, this has potential to be, this is remember how freaked out we were by um the projectors the hologram the hologram hologram holograms freaked us all the fuck out Mm -hmm. seeing tupac fucked us up Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) even though tupac was a little beefier than he was was, in real life he he, he was that was a little more that was yeah yeah coachella tupac was like yeah, yeah, thirty he pounds swole. heavier than like, he really was. <laughs> he was diesel. <laughs> there's, there's a weird era where we, as a society in the United States, just ran out of ideas, and they're like, "Fuck it, hologram Tupac." They just are hologramming everything. Everyone hologram Michael Jackson was bad. Yeah, yeah. Bad. everyone in that boardroom was like, "Yeah, run it. Let's do it at Coachella." They'll never notice. They're rolling. That was crazy. That one was nuts. Yeah, yeah, you know. And then everyone that wasn't at Coachella was like, "Fuck this." Yeah, for real. Yeah. 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 <laughs> What yeah. the hell? <laughs> I'm, I'm not paying $600 for a cheeseburger to go see Hologram Tupac. You know, like, <laughs> God. But this is not what we do on this podcast at all. Yeah, hey, what we do This is, is exactly what we this do on this exactly podcast. This is, exactly <laughs> this is precisely what God we're... damn it. We're here to... Rail and go deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to make a whole chat GPT of this entire conversation. Oh, so that'd be great. It'll be completely different. God, please make a GPT of our show. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great. We, what we do every week, we compare two artists head-to-head, their top five songs as viewed most popular on Spotify. I like this one because we came into it with our guest giving a suggestion, and I'm not sure if Travis followed. Oh the snap! I didn't follow the suggestion. Okay, well then we can we can get into that at another time. I still think okay. <laughs> yeah. I I yeah. totally forgot about that. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Oh, then you have you have something good. I, I like my pick. Let's all right. Let's hear it. I definitely like my pick. Let's hear um, it. So we have we have like two kind of heavyweights, man. And you know me, I like to keep it with the divas around here. Mm. So uh, today's pick, we got got an old and new uh, Diana Ross versus Billie Eilish. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's a rabbit hole. That's a rabbit hole. Yeah. Where's what what is the overlap on that is there one have they performed together they haven't they haven't performed together but um my my train of thought was just the fact that you know they were both just young superstars mm-hmm. you know uh billy eilish has you know the trajectory of uh diana ross superstardom you know sure sure so, can, this this feels like a hollow notes outcast it kind, kind of is like that's that's kind of yeah. the the route that I took. Okay, let's hear it. Round one. 
All right, round one, Endless Love versus uh, Lovely featuring Khalid. So Endless Love, Diana Ross versus Billie Eilish, Lovely. Lovely's kind of a new song, but it's a fire song. Mm. Let's start with Brett. Uh, I'm going to go with Diana Ross. Uh, I know Endless Love is kind of like, kind of cheesy and dated, Mm -hmm. but it's still like, it's still a classic. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Still still a song that you want to sing on the ice rink. Yeah. Anybody got that reference? That's yeah. That's it's quintessential quintessential ice rink (laughs) genre ice rink genre ice rink. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I'm right there with you. It's it's one of those songs. If I never heard it again, that's okay. Right. You know, but but I'm not less invested than a a Billie Eilish song. I will say that. So yeah, yeah. I'm going endless love. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Round Round two. Diana Ross, I'm coming out versus Billie Eilish TV. That's easy, right? That's easy. That's an easy one. That should be a sweep. Neek, that's you're not saying yeah. anything. Yeah, that's that's easy. Um, is, it, going... is it easy because of Puffy and Biggie? No. And uh, is that why it's easy? Even though that's, that's a great song, <laughs> I, I just think it's good on its own. Yeah, it is. It's just like classic Nile, isn't it? It's classic yep. Nile Rogers. It's like the the cool progression, the weird kind of timing of it. It's just like this. It's one of those songs where it's like it, it's it stands out from the disco era because <laughs> of that. Because it's like a little off kilter, a little bit weird, like kind of weird, cool progression, kind of slightly jazzy, and that's why it works, and that's why it kind of sticks in your mind. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw a corkscrew in this. Let's see. This is for Brett. Uh, Are your top three songs from Niall? Are any of them chic songs? Mm. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Stage fright. Stage fright. There's a chic song called called Stage fright, and it's great. Again, weird timing. Mm. Uh, Like things come in on the like, like the third beat or something. Mm-hmm. So it's like a weird kind of, and then it, it's, I swear it's not um, four, four. It might be like six, four or something mm-hmm. uh, like six beats in the bar or whatever. So mm-hmm. yeah, I love okay. that song. Okay, cool. Yeah. I was, I was just curious because you could definitely go a route where all of your favorite Nile songs are collaborative, 100%. You, know? <laughs> you know, or even yeah. just working with Bowie or working with, you, you know, the list is endless. Shoot. I mean, you can go like to today's now, age yeah. and with his work with Beyonce and, and, and the weekend Daft and Punk. Daft Punk. Yeah. Like yeah. Dude little is, group, little group of crazy. DJs. Yeah. Daft Punk. Right? Just a little, group. <laughs> little group you might've heard of. Uh, round three. What do we got? Round three upside down versus happier than ever. Two very, my, my- very pop songs. <laughs> Yeah. Mine's just gonna be Diana every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I like yeah. Billie Eilish, but I'm never gonna pick her over a Diana. Okay, Rose. all right. So is Diana just gonna sweep this? <laughs> I mean, so I far, think so. I'm right? Say yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say so. Um, since it was mentioned when we initially started this podcast, uh, Jam and Lewis were mentioned, yeah. uh, suggested from uh, Brett. I want to hear your top three Jam and Lewis if you have any opinion on that oh man that's like asking to 
pick your favorite yeah. child or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh man, it spans um, such a big chunk of time too, which is, is wild. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, if we're doing like eras, probably in the eighties, maybe like maybe something they did for Alexandra O'Neill, like, mm. um, uh, what's that song called? Uh, I'm gonna have to pull up my Spotify here. Mm. Uh, that what was is that song thing. called? Yeah. What is that song called? Uh, um, it's called, if you were here tonight, that song is absolutely masterpiece. Um, <clears throat> but I'd, I'd pick that from the eighties. 90s probably maybe got till it's gone um for janet okay. yeah um because that was just like such a i don't know just getting q-tip on on it and everything it was just like genius um mm. and then um 2000s uh i mean they kind of dropped off a little in the 2000s but maybe like maybe scream Mm, with yeah. michael and janet yeah. because you know it's just uh mm -hmm. the production on that like i don't know if you've ever gone through the multi-track but if you go through yeah. the multi-track and you hear all the different layers mm -hmm. it's such an unusual song like the way they built that up like just such a weird like selection of sounds yeah like, and... I, ahead, I swear sorry. like there's a, a as a snare i swear there's like a um like breaking of glass and it's literally oh, yeah. every yeah. single snare is, yeah. is like <laughs> shh, shh, <laughs> throughout the entire song yeah it's it's crazy and it's just good to hear michael jackson on terry lewis and jimmy jam beat so cool yeah, like it, it's now in retrospect now that like I, we're all a little bit more like i don't know educated in yeah. music it's fucking cool to be like, oh shit, Michael Jackson was on. They did a whole ass album with them. Yeah, man. That song and that video, the video yeah, it was the itself, most expensive video at the time. Most but expensive yeah. video, yeah. And it it just seemed like it seems from an era that we haven't even lived in yet. It seems like it's from something in the year three thousand. Mm -hmm. Just listening to it, watching it, like. What sucked about that video for me, though, is their their chemistry, even though, you know, their chemistry kind of pops off. It just look, looking yeah, back on they, it, they didn't then, like each other. At the time, yeah. Right? And then hearing mm -hmm. hearing the Janet documentary and her interview about it, they weren't getting along at the time. And then like watching the video back again, you can see it. Mm -hmm. You can you can see how the chemistry is off, man. That, that was the unfortunate part about that, because, man, it's I such a funny song. era like just to bring it back to how like it feels like it's from the future what year did scream come out like scream was on the dangerous i mean the history album which wasn't was it like 95 95 six yeah like i think so i think like, it was 95 95 96 mid, mid to late 90s super cgi and green screen mm -hmm. and it looks good mm -hmm. but it's it's crazy to look at it because it's like this is also the era where, like, we're coming towards the end of the analog era, so and like, digital media hasn't become what it is now, where right. it's like, MTV does making the video, and it's like an hour yeah. long episode, yeah. and we're getting this huge rollout and this world premiere 
of a music video, well, which we never premier, get anymore. Premier, 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 so it like premier. feels like this monumental moment because they're telling you it's a monumental moment. And we kind of hold on to that. Yeah, but it lived up to it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying it didn't. It, it, I'm what I, I guess what I'm saying is like because of the promo that comes with it. Mm-hmm. And now we watch it and we remember what it was like to them, like roll out this whole like event out of a music video. We're all like, oh, my God, they were in the future. They're literally in space. Mm-hmm. Like It still feels like it's ahead of its time. No one leaked that video either. Right. Like it was legitimately the first time you were seeing it. Oh, yeah. I, no, I think there was. um. Yeah, because I, I yeah, I, I mean, there was like behind the scenes stuff with, what? with like entertainment tonight and whatnot. But mm-hmm. yeah, that was before like anything would, would be leaked. Yeah, it was way it, it was way beyond like Waterfalls was an expensive video. Mm-hmm. And at the time it was the most. But I think it that, beat out Waterfalls. Both videos, I think, were by Dave Myers, right? I wouldn't doubt it because they're very mm-hmm. similar in style. Obviously not in theme, but in style. Mm-hmm. Going back to uh, Got Till It's Gone, what do you guys think about the um, the Jay Dilla rumor? Um, after finishing Dilla Time, the book, they say that, well, Dilla was like, that's not my beat. They stole my beat. Like, that's Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam stealing my beat. Um, which is crazy interesting. I I have a theory that like again i've gone through the multi track of this and in the multi track you can hear like the drums uh straight and then you can hear the drums with like swing on them from the npc yeah uh, um and everything in that multi track adds up to what jimmy jan has said in interviews before like he he didn't know how to put swing on the drums and then he got like an engineer in he said oh you just press this button and and you do it and that's in there and then he said he also says about like um playing in like the main keys uh like as if he was drunk kind of thing like the jay dealer kind of swing thing everything he says is in there um and then obviously there is a jay dealer remix of the song that mm. I think was like a promo only thing. Like it didn't mm. actually, it wasn't actually on the B side, but it was on like the promo that went out like first. Um, and my theory is that maybe they, maybe the label or maybe Jam and Lewis or whoever was like in charge, like fucked him over in, in the sense of like they put the promo out and then they, because it was never a b-side he kind of took it personally and was like you know what the i fuck? thought i was yeah i thought i was going to be on the release and i wasn't so it's- i i feel like maybe he misspoke maybe that's what he's pissed off about not the fact that he wrote the song and then jam and lewis came in and said this is ours now because mm. purely because everything that jimmy jam has said over the years matches with what's in the multi track so I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of like I'm both ways about it. Like I, I I love the song. I think it's a masterpiece. But of course. um, but I'm like, is it is it JD or not? I don't know. I really don't. I know. don't know. It sounds like a JD style beat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what's interesting about that era <clears throat> is like JD wasn't popular, but amongst producers who knew, 
like this is crazy like you know people like music soul child were putting out music that sounded like that i mean the uh the two-pack song the uh do for love or whatever that a hundred percent a hundred percent that was just you That's know cutting up of a uh yeah jd instrumental or whatever and those guys i forgot who did the beat on that um but that was mentioned too where they were like yeah do for love was a complete jd ripoff there is uh the i think and it might be the same guy as they're like these swiss producers you know these two white guys from like switzerland and the netherlands making beats that sounded like dilla beats hmm and like if there was a bunch of like copycats. So when I heard um, it's so funny for the long for years in my Serato, I had um, got till it's gone. And in parentheses, it says produced by Jay Dillon. And I just keep forgetting. I would keep forgetting to delete it until recently. And I'm like, that's wrong. I don't know who put that there, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does that change the trajectory of Dilla if he gets that placement on Janet? <sighs> I don't know. I don't think so. Because I don't think so either. I, I only don't think so because like it, it wasn't his and the Jay Dillo remix. I don't think is as good, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, And at the time when he was alive, he was working with big artists. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people were feeling Dilla as much as we were after he died. I think the, the Dilla that people became fanatics over was late Dilla, the mm-hmm. lo-fi hip-hop Dilla. Mm-hmm. Which then essentially had back. its movement after for the whole genre. Donuts. Right? Yeah. And yeah. that kind of shit yeah. started what became lo-fi beats to study too. Yeah. I think that the song for me that like completely made me like question everything in the way that I sampled and the way that I chopped things up was move, which is the uh, Q-tip song. And like Q-tip took his instrumental and then rapped over it. And it's um, a Jackson five sample and he'd like pitched it down. But the way in which he chops it is just like, there's no, there's no other Jay Dilla song like it. In my opinion, it's so like unique and so different. The half a vocal, like the, yeah, and it's come. it's like he, he he didn't care about where the vocal was. He was it was just all about like the rhythm. Yeah, the rhythm of it, and 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 the vocal just comes in and out every now and then, like at pure random. Yeah, it's, it's just it, like that's Jay Dilla. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the fucking secret sauce. The essence of yeah. him. Yeah. You, yeah, we're here for the groove, and if there happens to be a vocal in it, we're gonna we write the song it. around it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like that's mm-hmm. part of the song now. Mm-hmm. No one else would have cut it that way. Mm-mm. No way. No, no. Everyone Mm-mm. and and that's the problem with music nowadays. It's too polished. Yeah. It's too pristine. It's been through so many effects and so many filters and yeah. so much everything to where you don't get that raw grittiness, that swing. You don't get any. You know, it's just very uniform mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. People are like, and I I've gone back and like obviously I'm. I'm 33, so like, I wasn't there as a grown up with like refined taste when Bizarre Ride dropped or mm-hmm. when uh the Love Movement dropped. So when people, there's fans who are there, and I've heard older DJs be like, nobody was feeling that Dilla shit. 
Like mm-hmm. people felt like Dilla ruined groups when he mm-hmm. stepped in to produce, which I'm like, I love this shit. <laughs> like, yeah, I thought yeah. the love movement was great. I thought yeah. Bizarre Ride is dope. Like, so it's crazy to me to think that like people were just not in on Dilla or like even the date like stakes is high. People weren't in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how? Like, I don't. But because they want it's just so different. Yeah, I think it's just because it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same way we hear stuff, at least I hear stuff from an artist I love. And when they change, Mm -hmm. regardless, good or bad, my initial reaction is, ah, I'm Mm -hmm. good. Like, this is not. It's the same with like any album, album or release that like completely changes like the trajectory of where this artist lives like mm-hmm. the best best example is kid a by uh radiohead because it's like at the time people were like oh this is too electronic like what are they doing like <coughs> you know where's the guitars where's the this where's that and you know it's like it's one of those things where it's like in hindsight looking back on it it's like one of the best pieces of work they ever did but at the time people were like i'm not too sure no way. Like, it's not a rock album mm-hmm. exactly yeah 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 it's it's those paradigm shifts though that make those big impressions you know yeah. I, I i think and and we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago and i would love to hear your take on it um anytime skrillex releases something everything kind of shifts a little bit <laughs> to a different direction especially you know well t- to me the i mean i've heard both his new albums and the one that impressed me more is uh not the one with the porcupine on the other one. Yeah, <laughs> um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but to me, when I heard that, when I listened to it for the first time, it's just a UK album. Yeah, like there's right. so there's so much of the UK in that album. Like right, like from start to finish. Yeah, like it's like the early kind of dubstep sound creeps back in. Mm-hmm. The garage sound creeps in. The grime sound creeps in like uk hip-hop like this there's so much in it that's Mm -hmm. grounded in the uk um and now obviously he's hanging around with you know like fortet and fred so it's like you know i I, it's no secret you know where he probably took inspiration from but Mm -hmm. it's just like it's quite funny that he he's like take almost taking it back to basics because he's he's almost done like full circle you know he mm-hmm. started in dubstep then he was like too electro and too heavy for the you know like the og dubstep crew yeah and then he kind of took it and ran with it and it dubstep became this whole other thing mm-hmm. then he kind of like basically turned his back on it for like a number of years and like the dog blood stuff and like uh you know decided to be like more house mm-hmm. and then he went and did the pop stuff and now he's sort of come back again to the dubstep stuff, but it's mm-hmm. there's still a lot of house and techno in there, and it's like a mishmash of all the different stuff. But yeah, yeah, to me, when I first heard it, it was just like, you know, it's it's such a UK record. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. From your perspective, and feel free to to tell it like it is. Do you think uh, American dubstep ruined the dubstep sound? I. I don't think it ruined it, but I think it was just, um, it was a whole other thing. It Mm. shouldn't have been called dubstep. It was almost like a different, a different genre because Mm -hmm. when you listen to, especially like the really, really early dubstep stuff, and I'm talking like, like 
2003, 2004 dubstep, like the really early days, um, it's like there's a little bit of garage in there still. Like there's the swing from garage in there and like mm -hmm. the off kilter kind of beats and stuff and not quantized and everything. Um, but then there's also like the the dubby influence and like when Skrillex and like a lot of the Americans kind of like took it and ran with it, it was like um, it became more about who has the biggest wob <laughs> right, yeah, and, right, right. and and like how aggressive can it be and everything. But it was it was never that. It was never. It was almost like kind of chill you know it was right. like it was all about the repetition and like um yeah like i say like it, it the dub part of it was, was every <laughs> yeah. yeah um so you know if any if anything dubstep was more close to like dub and reggae than than like garage what you know or anything like that or anything yeah. kind of electronic yeah um so yeah but i mean there's loads of great like american dubstep songs but i just it was almost it's kind of like closer to drum and bass than right. than it was to mm -hmm. actual dubstep so yeah. yeah um it's more jumble yeah. too you know it's it's more more drum and bass and i, I feel like um the the melodic stuff like the mount eaton stuff like that kind of got lost in that which was some of the most fun of that time you know where um my intro in the states was was uh, screaming benga you know and and hearing uh benga night and being like what like what this is perfect you know and then i think from the state side that distortion era knob just kind of got turned up and they were like we're hearing some of these really uh brash noises from like justice and stuff like that we can go harder, we can go heavier, you know, and it, it turned into metal, essentially, mm -hmm. you know, because it was always kind of teetering. It was always kind of teetering on that. And then it went into headbanging dubstep yeah. and stuff like that. But I think... So funny how it adopted that. Right? Like electronic music. Isn't that weird? Amer now, like, America just has to go, you know, full-blown everything. Like... <laughs> bigger 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 explosions yeah. it's, it, all it is, it's just hair metal again yeah it that's is. all it is it really yeah. is yeah yeah and it's, it's funny though because like that time when skrillex started to get quite big like 2007 ish 2008 ish mm -hmm. um maybe even slightly before then um here in the uk we'd kind of moved on from the screaming benga kind of sound and and now it was like that kind of post garage kind of set like burial mm. and burial put out his second album untrue and it was like that was like the london record it like you know sounded like london sounded like the uk mm. um and that's kind of where we headed like that's where like the uk kind of dubstep sound headed which was kind of more garage and more chill mm. and almost more ambient whereas in the states it was like you know, <laughs> the ripping of the war. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Excision and, you know, yeah. the biggest of the big. Uh, what brought you to disco? How did you initially, you know, because from the States and over by you, I'm sure there was a lot of 
well, Paradise Garage is in New York, you know, Studio 54 is in New York, there's a Detroit movement. It's all kind of state-centric. What landed you on that disco sound? Hold up, the, hold up. Can we can we appreciate the fact that when you brought up disco, he was about to take a sip and then he put that <laughs> Yeah, I, I just quick. was. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I need to pay attention now. <laughs> what are we sipping? <laughs> what we got? Oh, yeah. Pepsi. Oh, no, it's, it's just Pepsi. It's boring. Yeah. And, okay, that's oh. what I thought. I just want to make sure. There you go. <laughs> we'll, so, uh, we'll get into um, that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, <laughs> more pressing issues at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, put simply, it was sampling. It was sampling. It, that that was like my gateway into disco because um, a lot of the French house stuff like relied on disco samples and funk samples. And in the early days, um, before I kind of went down the road of writing original music and no samples that's all i would do i just create dig all the time go to local like record shops and stuff and try and find really rare stuff um and that kind of just rubbed off of me because it was like okay i like this producer what else has he done i like uh that guitar player on this song what else has he done and like that kind of led down this path of kind of discovery and then um when i actually came to sort of move away from samples because i realized what a pain in the ass sample clearance was um i uh kind of was so influenced by that stuff and so it kind of came naturally to um yeah write kind of funk and disco stuff um mm. and, and also like the 80s i mean i was born in 1990 but the the 80s really even now still has such a big impact on me because as a kid that's all you would hear on the radio and so that's always interests me as well and like the recording techniques of the 80s and stuff so i i kind of put the two together so it's um in more recent years it's i've kind of started to go down the pop kind of uh road but for a long time i've been down the disco road and uh, yeah just the the different recording techniques and uh like gear that they had at the time and mm. and trying to find like a modern equivalent of of what they were doing because you know half the gear is <laughs> thousands right. of pounds now so right right um yeah so I, I i quite like that challenge and to you know i i really like now to, to trying to like fool the listener so it's like I, is what you're hearing a sample or is it not a sample? You know? mm. And um, there's a guy in uh, the UK actually uh, called um, Hal Ritson, and he uh, he has a project called The Young Punks, and he like puts out lots of music as The Young Punks. But his day job is um, replaying samples, so he's done everyone. He's done like Kanye, and he's mm. done like you know biggest of the big, and um, on his website, I think it's called, uh, I think it's called replay heaven. He shows you like a snippet of the original song and then a snippet of his replay. And it's like in, in so many times it's like near enough identical. It's like, if, if wow. you were playing this and told me it was the original, I'd believe you. It's <laughs> like, he's, he's so good at it. And when I kind of got pally with him, I kind of, asked him about so many different techniques. I was like, you know, how can I make my drums sound like a sample or, you know, what does he do to this, to that, to kind of make it sound 
you know more like an original more like a old record or old recording or whatever mm. so um yeah that's that's kind of I thought where, where i'm still years. at yeah, I, yeah. I thought you were just about to be like and this is what he did <laughs> <laughs> i was like <laughs> mainly mainly like um staying true to like so for example um if you have like a let's say you want to go down like a 60s drum sound it's like um making sure the kit is like mainly mono because obviously they didn't really mm-hmm. have stereo yeah, them stereo, but also yeah. like putting reverb directly on the kit because at the time like they didn't really have you know like a a room sound and then uh you know it was literally mic'd up in the room and then right. the sound mm-hmm. of the room was in the recording whereas well, like yeah. when you move to the 70s it's like there's more like multi-track drums and everything is like isolated. So it's like everything becomes cleaner. Mm. Um, but then also like uh, in like the sixties, everything's more like distorted and more like um, he- like heavier compression and stuff compared to the seventies when people kind of like, um, you know, uh, it was all about the layering and mm-hmm. like in, in disco, for example, like using, um, gates like gated white noise over the top of a snare drum like they did that all the time in the 70s to like give the snare like more snap and stuff mm. yeah. so it's like little techniques like that where you like you pick it up as you go along or you speak to someone like Hal, and you know they like that that's that's something that's almost uh it, it sounds like an obvious thing but when you're like approaching a song from like a modern perspective you're just like oh yeah i'm gonna stick you don't think maybe i should stick this in mono you just kind of you know keep going or or even like the eq i mean obviously nowadays we've got such a uh like a wider range of eq to play around with but back then like the when by the time things were transferred to tape and stuff and reel to reels like all all the top end would be like cut off and you'd lose some of the bottom end and so it's it's all that kind of stuff where it's like mm-hmm. the combination of all these different simple techniques but when you yeah. put it all together it makes it sound really convincing and the mm-hmm. the other thing is um is noise you know like uh putting uh, vinyl noise in the background of a, of some drums or like mm-hmm. putting tape noise like a tape hiss in the yeah. in the background things like yeah. that it's like yeah. that's what makes it sound more convincing and more um like yeah, I guess as if it true. were a song. Especially with like EQing, because a lot of times you'll listen to like 60s rock, for example. You're just like, where the fuck is the kick? Like, there's mm-hmm. no kick drum on this song. <laughs> like, you hear it, but you don't feel it. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's just a result of yeah, I, dubbing and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess that's my that was my beef with uh Silk Sonic's album, right? You know, I want I wanted it to be more dirty. I yeah. wanted it to yeah, be. Yeah, it was. It was like seventies. It, it was like seventies inspired, but very modern sounding. Yeah, right. I, I think like that's my biggest issue with a lot of um, like, especially because we're going through this kind of eighties thing at the moment. You know, people like the weekend and stuff. It's mm-hmm. like eighties inspired, but it's still a modern production with modern drums and everything. It's just the the chord progression that makes it 80s or like mm. the reverb or something that makes it 80s mm-hmm. but it's like n- nothing about it in the actual studio is f- very throwback it's modern right. drums right. modern synths you know everything but they're just trying to make it sound mm-hmm. retro without using 
you know, techniques or or the sounds of the era. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you do that, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a lot of time to to kind of do that. If you just limit yourself to the the equipment that they had at the time, yeah, that limitation is, alone is like enough to make it sound mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. You know? Here's your Lindrum and hit record. That's yeah. it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Here's yeah. your Akai drum machine, and yeah. go, we'll go after it. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other thing is, and it, and it really pisses me off actually, is um, we always stick to the same drum machines all the fucking time. It's always mm-hmm. the Lindrum, and it's always the 808, mm-hmm. and it's always the 909, and it's mm-hmm. like. There's so many other drum machines. Like if, if people actually like, it doesn't take long to, you can go on the internet and like download like thousands of drum kits for free, like drum old drum end. machines and stuff. And it's like some of them, like, especially in the, in the like middle eighties, there's so many drum machines that people like have forgotten about or just don't talk about anymore. And yeah. some of them are great. Like some of them are like sample based and some of them are more like, you know analog or whatever but mm. yeah they're just like uh, we like the sound of the 808 but there's only so many times you can change stock sounds yeah 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 right because I, I think that's and i think people do people who aren't in the know i guess i don't know exactly what an 808 is like i, I hate mm-hmm. when people refer to bass lines as 808s it's like, oh, we need more 808. And it's like the whole drum kit could be an 808. Any part of that could be an 808. Like, is that an 808 drum bass is probably what you're asking. But this um, feels like making music out of necessity. It feels very much like no risk. Like, we got to get this album out. I guaranteed the label four albums we need these drums. These are tried and true. I yeah. just need a song to fucking land instead of look how weird that kid is over right. there with that weird ass song with the weird ass drums. And he's not even worried about TikTok or Spotify charts or, you know, even, even getting playlisting or whatever. Everything is kind of, and you know, mostly in, in pop music, Weekend, Dua Lipa, X, Y, and Z, even Calvin now, very safe and polished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For to, to what? To land, right? It, it's yeah. got to be for that. You know, it's not making music uh, with the special sauce on it. See, and, and I know it, that there's a lot of variables that come into play with that, but, of course, of course. Um, you know, the the deadlines and stuff and I, I keep going back to silk sonic right because yeah. i mean i love that album i want to love it even more yeah and you know their first song came out and like i i'm gonna still stand on this hill saying that that song came out by accident sure yeah you know yeah i don't because, think it was intended to be an album right i think they put out the one track and everybody loved it. We're like, we need a whole album of this. Right. And they're like, and they're then, like uh, deadlines, <laughs> deadlines and record labels and the record big labels money like, coming yeah, to play. And then an album out of this. People are loving this. Yeah. You can cookie cut that 12 times and make a fucking album. Yeah. You can, you can yeah. just, which is precisely what happened to me. Like, that's what I feel like what happened. Yeah. yeah. You right. Can listen to a Bootsy album and make a Bootsy song. Like, right. You can, you can do that. You have all the money in the world. You yeah. know, uh, with Bruno Mars at the helm, the budget's endless. Mm-hmm. Here's where they went wrong. They didn't get these producers from that time period. Mm. 
which a lot of them, you know, are you could have gotten Giorgio. Yeah. You could have done yeah. a Giorgio, you could have had Giorgio in the studio for a Silk Sonic album. There's a lot of people they could have pulled. Like, but you think I, if they went in the studio, they'd be able to like, yo, I'm not playing on this new shit. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I no. don't know what could have happened. I think mostly because I think they would have to get American producers because it's more of an American sound. Like, so mm-hmm. Giorgio, I don't think would have been like a good, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just an example. Um, and I think, and, and also we're in, a, we are in the modern era where they don't have to come into the studio and all be in the same room. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So he could, whoever this producer is, could work from home and then send. Right. Um, it's 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 just interesting that, like I said, it it, it feels very eighties inspired, but not. I I think the other thing is that like most modern songs now have like what like seven eight writers on a song, mm-hmm. and I insane. think insane. And I think because of that, it's like it kind of gets in the way of like you're kind of pleasing multiple people and mul- multiple people's opinions and tastes, whereas. If you just had one person person and like their vision to be like, this is what it's going to be. This is what it sounds like. Um, even if it's like more of a executive kind of producer role. Yeah, I still I still think that you're better off with that and trying to please one person's taste than, you know, all these different people who are taking references from different places. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, whereas if you're like, we're going to write a song that sounds like this and mm-hmm. it's going to have these limitations and uh, take references from maybe like two songs and that's mm-hmm. it. Um, then you have like a clearer vision as to, you know, all, all the different songs will like mold together and fit together nicely as a, as a, as a package, as a, like, you know, almost like a concept album kind of thing right. rather than, you know, uh, different writers on every single song. And then it almost becomes a bit like a, compilation album of yeah uh, you know of all these writers and different producers. sessions yeah, yeah exactly right. yeah is Wait, that, i mean what the fuck do we know like yeah. they won millions of grammys and sure. millions of albums <laughs> sure and we're all sitting here like hey it could have been better but I, i'm i'm wondering if that's not due in part to tooling the algorithm too hmm. you know where, where you're like this is coming up for this person this has a, a leg over here in this avenue and they got a writing credit on this. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if that's just like not- how much of that actually comes into play. Mm-hmm. But yeah. also, I think it's the it's probably a little bit of the maybe not in the Silk Sonic sense, but some other artists definitely where it's whatever they're looking for at the time. So I've pitched for people before I, I've pitched for Rosalia or I've pitched for um, Dua Lipa, different people. And you know, a brief will come from their record label that says, we want songs that sound like this. And yeah. so, you know, you get hundreds of writers all sending in their beats and their ideas and everything. Um, so it's like, you know, that's what kind of limits it. But at the same time, uh, like I say, it's kind of good to have that, but at the same time, it's not because then you know it's like you're you're only gonna get one type of sound one type of beat and then it's finding the balance isn't it you know you either have like an album where every song sounds exactly the fucking same or every song sounds completely different and there's nothing that kind of sews it all together but 
Um, yeah, it's like it, it very it teeters along the lines of having a every song sounds the same album and a cohesive every song fits together album mm-hmm. where it sounds yeah, yeah. like one project. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is why like an album like Thriller and why an album like Saturday Night Fever and why, you know, all these like massive albums, like best selling albums, they're almost kind of like um like greatest hits or or a compilation album where you know you have like quiet ballady songs but then you have big poppy songs mm-hmm. but but it's because they're made at the same time by the same people yes that brings it all together so right. you can still have that variation and like we're gonna have this kind of song this kind of song this kind of song but, but they're not the same damn song mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Like PYT and Thriller are two very different songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But it's people like Quincy and people like Bruce Swedine and all the players on Thriller that brings it all together. And that's what, you know, the sound of Thriller is the combination of those, you know, few people. Right. Um, yeah. Do you think that gets pushed back to what we were talking about earlier, how the producer gets pigeonholed into a certain sound where they feel that obligation to, this is what people just know me by. I need to keep making this. Yeah, I mean, look at look at what happened to Pharrell and Neptunes. You know, they were just kind of putting out, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of the same song for a good a good like ten years or so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he he still had like variation, but like you know, when he made when he made like every song on what did he use like the um, Cork Triton, right? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. and it's like, you know. If you, you there's only so many times you can use that like clavinet sound <laughs> yeah, yeah. before it before it starts to get boring, you know. Yeah. So um, it was like really cool to begin with, and it was like, wow, what the fuck is this? I've never heard anything like it before. But then towards the end of that era, it was like, okay, what else you got? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what. <laughs> He used the hell out of that Triton. We got every sound possible out of that thing. <laughs> they sure did. Yeah. And it's true, like, in retrospect, like, yeah, they're all jams. We got 10 years of jams, but they are essentially the same fucking song. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, it it follows suit. This is the Neptune's sound, and we're not going to deviate from it. Like, right. it's, it's knowing when to drop out. Like, you can do that. And do it well for you know he like I say he did it for like ten years but like but yeah after uh, it's gonna after a while there's like a use by date you know and so (laughs) it's gonna run out sooner or later so um, there's a lot of schlock in there too in those ten years which people never Never talk talk about there's so many ugh just you know we don't want it we you know like it's cool but we weren't in yeah yeah with the exact same sound. So it was just really, I mean, I can't even say it was the artist because there was some some flops with big artists in there too. Yeah. I think it was just the amount of output that told the story. Where what, it was makes, like, what makes Pharrell interesting though, I think is that it's an example, a bit like uh, Jay Diller, where it's somebody using the most modern technology and like getting the most out of it. So like Pharrell could have used like a really old sampler or like a really old keyboard or something and gone down that route. But at the time, you know, the Triton was like the new thing. Mm-hmm. And it's same with Jay Diller and the MPC, you know, he, he, the 
NPC three thousand or whatever it is that yeah. he used was like brand new at the time, and he you know got the most out of it. Whereas nowadays, people are kind of almost like looking back and and being like, you know, what can we do that will sound retro because nostalgia is cool right now, mm-hmm. yeah. um, right? Rather than like what's the latest and greatest thing, and then using that to its sort of you know their advantage or whatever. So. It is interesting. Uh, I, I the use of a certain getting, I think that's kind of a lost art in modern production too. Is just getting to know one instrument, like mm-hmm. getting to know one piece of kit front and back. I think mm-hmm. is very much like a lost. It's Definitely. kind of a lost art, or, or 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 having that limitation. You know, just being like, I'm gonna have these two simps and this drum machine and and that's kind of it you know whereas now it's like there's this plugin and this plugin and this plugin and mm-hmm. this vst and this vst and this drum sound and it's like you know you can just literally get anything yeah and you can get lost in the latest and greatest and the newest technology and uh you know and and i'm kind of guilty to it like i i have so many fucking plugins but it's like i always go back to the same the same ones because they know them know. because yeah. yeah and i know how to get get the best out of them and stuff but mm-hmm. you know you always have to scratch that itch of oh i wonder what this does you know mm-hmm. and finding a, a new plugin or whatever but um, it's very similar to djing in the way that it's like it one if you have too many options you kind of lose quality right you know when, what songs are gonna work you, you know, know what what's songs gonna are work. gonna go off and yeah. every now and then you may add a couple mm-hmm. and take some away you know, once they get tired, just like you're saying, you know, once you you're used by date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, and maybe you can bring it back later when nostalgia kicks back in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you, having too many options will almost puts you at a standstill. Like now nothing's happening. Like mm-hmm. nothing's And, and I, I think that about like mixes and stuff as well, because it's like, you know, think how many like effects are on a mixer. You know, who the fuck uses like a, a phaser Ooh, on a mixer right, you know right, it's right, like right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're you just stick to the same ones don't you because you know yeah. you know they work and you know they're good you know um yeah. and now they're talking about having like the stem thing yeah. aren't they like just just the drums and just yeah. the yeah, they're as stem, a like hard buttons on controllers yeah and i'm just like uh do we need it are we gonna use it i don't know People use it. It, it they use it the wrong format way. Stems are getting used. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to open format used. DJing, people are using stems. Um, I think it's finally starting to chill out. I think people were using it for everything. For it a is, second. but it was a new toy. But it was brand new, so yeah. every, that's that's to be expected. It was a new. Now toy. I'm seeing it a little less. Nightmare for the crowd, by the way, where the crowd's like another mashup, another ma- <laughs> like I just right. want to hear the song, like crying, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Please just play the song. Yeah, yeah. Not everything needs to be, oh, let me take that bass line and put it on this. Like, right. come on, dude. As like, a DJ, it's fun as fuck. Right. Like, it's super fun. But, like, in the club, it's like, oh, fucking K. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's that goes back to the problem of too many choices right. hurts the output. It hurts what the crowd hears and stuff like that. I don't know. I just Well, yeah, like- they're, and they're all here for for tools that, that you need to use you know what i mean yeah it's just another tool in the box. like so so use it use it as a as a tool 
Yeah, well, they're, that makes they're sense. Gonna, they're going to run out of ideas. Right. Eventually, the tech companies that are producing these mixers and upgrading Serato and all of that are going to run out of ideas. There's only so many buttons that you need on the mixer. Yeah. There's only so many advancements. There's Bluetooth now on mixers and stuff right. like that. Whatever you'd use that for. But now we've hit this brick wall where they're like, okay, we have stems. The next thing we could do is write a chat GPT code into Serato <laughs> where you're like, make me a song that sounds like this so I can play it. Even more, more and more DJ software is getting into production software. Yeah. Right. So now right. there's like a weird overlay. Like Serato put out Serato Studio Serato years Studio, ago. Yeah. But now like stems is coming into Serato DJ. Yeah. So now we're doing it live. Pioneer starting to do their own version of stems, which is a different algorithm, but same thing. It doesn't yeah. work well, but they're doing it. 